You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right, today we're going to begin a new fall series that's going to run through the month of October, and it is called The Ghost. Now, I'm not talking about ghosts, because uh, we, don't, we don't teach that, we don't uh, promote, believe that sort of thing. Uh, we, we do have a theological position on what ghosts are. The Bible says that the ghosts are fallen spirits, they're not people. The Bible says that that if you're a person, a human being, it is appointed for man to die once and then judgment, you die and then you are standing before God to face your life either with or without Christ. And you don't get to roam the earth and, and haunt people and bother people because you have unresolved issues, all right? Those ghosts that are in this world are fallen spirits, but there is a holy ghost. And he's, in, in the Pentecostal circles, he's called the Holy Ghost. But for us, we know him as the Holy Spirit. And uh, I want to talk to you today and over the next few weeks about probably the most least talked about aspect of our walk with God in most churches. In Acts 19, it says this, while Apollos was at Corinth, the city of Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at a place called Ephesus. By the way, Corinth is where we get the book of Corinthians and Ephesus where we get the book of Ephesians, it was written to both those places, to the churches there. And he says, but in Ephesus, there he found some disciples. This was in the early, early stages of the movement of the way, the movement of Christ, the followers of Christ. And he asked these disciples, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Now, This is very similar to today. It's very similar because the Holy Spirit is one of those things that that people are like, I don't don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. What's this Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit who? You know, what, what do you even mean? It's often misunderstood. There's often ignorance, unaware. Some even fight about it. You know, whether it's legitimate, whether it's not legitimate, you know, who and what and, you know, it. uh, There's fear about the Holy Spirit. They're simply afraid that if you start talking about the Holy Spirit, then crazy and wild things that you heard about in other churches are going to happen. And so there's this sense of fear because you can't control uh, something. And then there's doctrinal issues about the Holy Spirit. Uh, some say it's not valid. Some say it's not that necessary. Some say it's not for today. And there's a lot of questions. And in this room, you're probably wondering, Holy Spirit who? We talk about it. We sing about it. Today we sing about where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What's the, what does that even mean, the Spirit of the Lord? By the way, in Acts 19, this is important to know, is that um, he was not talking to disciples of Jesus. He was talking to disciples of John the Baptist. Here's what the next verse says. It says, so Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism, they replied. See, they were just baptized in water for the forgiveness of sins before God looking for the Messiah. So they were cleansing themselves before God and looking for the promised one. And here's Paul. He shows up and says, whoa, there's even greater baptism. The one that you've been looking for is here. And he says this. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. That means forgiveness and turning of your sin. He told the people to believe in the one after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, 
they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means they were baptized in two ways. They were baptized again in water, uh, in the understanding of who Jesus was, uh, still using the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when it says they were baptized in the Lord Jesus or in the name of the Lord Jesus, it means they were doing it in the name or in honor or in focus of who Jesus is. And it goes on to say uh, that, that this is something that opened them up to the understanding of the Holy Spirit. That is salvation brought understanding of the Holy Spirit. So when they said they hadn't heard about it, they weren't saved and they needed the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. So I want to tell you a little bit about my personal testimony with the Holy Spirit before we dive in. Uh, I became a Christian at 13 uh, through an assemblies of, at a Baptist church, but then my family started going uh, to an Assemblies of God church where I dedicated my life to Jesus uh, as with, you know, the preacher up front was given this fiber message about three weeks after Easter. My family started going to church and, uh, and I said yes to Christ uh, as for the real deal. And it was at an Assemblies of God church. Now, if you're familiar with Assemblies of God, Assemblies of God is a Pentecostal denomination. And a Pentecostal denomination is a church or denomination that believes in the practicing gifts of Acts chapter 2 of the Pentecost, focusing on spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit with an emphasis on speaking in tongues, which we're actually going to talk about in a couple of weeks. Because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and that's something that comes up in the gifts of the Spirit. So we're going to talk about that. But Pentecostal churches, they have a very strong emphasis on the work and power of the Holy Spirit. And I grew up in this environment. And not only did I grow up in that environment, but I went to Bible school at a Pentecostal college called Christ for the Nations Institute. And then I went to a Baptist college, Dallas Baptist University. So I have the blending of two. Uh, But when I became a youth pastor, I was at a charismatic slash Pentecostal church. I don't know if you guys knew this, but I was a Shundai. I was one of those guys that uh, would line them up and knock them down. There wasn't a service uh, where I wasn't in during those days where we didn't have an altar line and I didn't go you know, down the line praying for people. In our youth services, it was often uh, setting them up and knocking them down. It was like dominoes, you know, because in Pentecostal churches, you teach you're supposed to fall. If the Spirit falls on you, then you just kind of give into it and you fall. So we would, you know, you ever been to those churches where you see people like falling? What is going on? They're, they're killing them. They're killing them. Uh, you know, when a church that teaches that tends to display that. So um, that the church... The charismatic church, Pentecostal churches, they teach what's called slain in the spirit, which is not in the Bible anywhere. The only places where people fall as if they were dead is when they were being judged by God or when God was silencing their sin. So uh, you don't want to be slain in the spirit. Uh, Some of you need to be. Um, But that's not something that's really laid out in scripture, but that's from my background. We all, I'm also from a background where the Holy Spirit is emphasized to the point that there's, uh, we, we talked a lot about signs and wonders and miracles and the gifts of the Spirit, including speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, growing up in that environment and being a pastor in that environment, 
I began to feel that the churches, uh, the Pentecostal Charismatic Assemblies churches were, were kind of getting an emphasis on the spiritual gifts and not emphasizing the glorification of Christ and discipleship. So my heart began to be turned towards a clear understanding of theology in those areas. And so my idea of what was acceptable and what I believed began to change. And living way was the fruit of that change in my life. I began to feel the sense of God on my heart to start a church that believed in the freedom of the Holy Spirit in worship and that believed in miracles and signs and wonders that followed the Bible's example and model of how things should be done decently and in order. Living way is that fruit. So what you're going to find here is that we're not a Pentecostal charismatic church, but though that's my background, you're going to learn a lot about the Holy Spirit that is often misunderstood or neglected because there's a lot that was misunderstood by me growing up about the Holy Spirit. I was caught up in a culture of Pentecostalism that led me to believe things and to practice things that weren't really that biblical. But now, as I'm searching the scriptures out and reading them and studying them and uh, with some counsel, I've come to what I feel is a balanced view of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to dive into over the next few weeks. Okay, so some of this may scare you as we talk about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is real. And some of this will excite you because uh, that's your background too, and you're excited to hear about the Holy Spirit. And some of you, it's just curiosity because you never heard about it before. So I'm excited to dive in. We're going to take a look at a lot of scripture today because we're going to lay a foundation on who the Holy Spirit is first, okay? So Holy Spirit 101, I'm going to answer four questions, and then I'm going to give you some reasons this week and next week why you need the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Holy Spirit 101, four questions. Uh, You need to look no further than Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, verse 2, to see the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Actually, it's verse 2, but it's only the second sentence in the Bible, and it says this, to get an introduction to the Holy Spirit, we get, now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, the Spirit of God there means breath of God or the pneuma of God, and there's this sense that the Holy Spirit is the very breath or presence or the felt presence of God. You see, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. You feel its chill, you feel its warmth, and you feel this sense of movement. You see how it moves the trees, and it can be a stormy gale that blows things over, or it can be a cool, refreshing breeze that brings a sense of peace when you're hot on a sunny day. The Holy Spirit is that invisible breath of God. Uh, Now, the Holy Spirit is not the wind. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. He's the pneuma, the breath of God in Genesis. So what is the Holy Spirit? I want you to write this down. This is important. The Holy Spirit is is a who, not a what. Okay? This is important. We're laying some foundation. Uh, It's not what is the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. 
It is not some sort of presence. It's not just some, some, some you know, vague breath or wind. Uh, you know, there's a lot of cults that don't even acknowledge that there is a Holy Spirit. Uh, they just call it Holy Spirit, and they don't refer to it in any way as something that's personal, but more of a force or a presence. But it is a who, not a what. I've got a lot of verses in your notes so that you can t- take a look at to look uh, up some of this. Uh, Romans eight sixteen says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit himself. According to the, uh, according to the Bible, the Holy Spirit grieves. The Holy Spirit loves. The Holy Spirit has thoughts. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit knows all things. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. The Holy Spirit can be tested. The Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. Second thing you need to know is who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is God. This is important. He's not God in training. He's not a little G. He's not, you know, the invisible third throne. He is God in our midst, in our presence. He is the third person of the Trinity. He has all the attributes that make God, God. For example, in over 90 places in the Bible, he's called holy. And there is none holy except one who is God. And the Holy Spirit is holy. He is God. John in Hebrews tells us that the Holy Spirit is eternal, another attribute of God. All throughout the Psalms, particularly Psalm 39, it says that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. That means the Holy Spirit is everywhere simultaneously. He's not just in that chair or in this chair or up here with me or somewhere out there. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere on the farthest reaches of the galaxy, way, way to the very edge of the universe. The Holy Spirit is there and present just as much as he is here right now. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Although the scripture, all through the scripture, it also says that the Spirit is the almighty power of God and that he has even the great power to create. For only God has the power to create. The Holy Spirit is God. And though God is only all-powerful, the Holy Spirit is called the almighty power or uses the omnipotent power that is his alone, that is God's alone. Genesis, Job, Psalms, throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit has the power to create. 1 Corinthians 2.10 and John 14 It says, the spirit knows your thoughts, knows our intentions. He knows all things. That's another attribute of God. For God is omniscient. That means that he knows everything, not just the possibilities, but the actual outcome before it happens. The Holy Spirit knows those things because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit over and over in the New Testament is called God in what's called the triadic formula. In this triadic formula, if you're reading through the New Testament, you might see a greeting in the New Testament that says, I greet you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or blessings, they have what's called the doxology or the ending of a letter, and they might say, may the blessings of the Father, the love of the Son, and the power of the Spirit be with you. And they'll say, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, greetings. These are called triadic formulas where they constitute, they say, in the name of, and it's a common singular name with all three being one. And this is important because you might say, where's the Trinity in the Bible? All throughout 
the New Testament, the Trinity is made known. Matthew 28, 19, we looked at it earlier. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular name, a common name in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, why are we baptized in the name of the Trinity? Because the Trinity is a part of salvation. As I said earlier, the invisible sends the visible. That's Jesus. The invisible who sends the visible. Now the visible Jesus sends the invisible, the spirit. And the invisible becomes visible in us as he lives out his power in our life. You see, that's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts 5 says the Holy Spirit is called God by the apostles, where they refer to the Holy Spirit as God, where they even say you lied to the Spirit of God. You lied to God. Uh, and Acts throughout, it says when the Holy Spirit speaks, God is speaking to them and they obey. Guys, listen, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is God. There's a great book by Francis Chan called Forgotten God. If you want to read a little bit more on that, uh, you can jot that down, Forgotten God by Francis Chan. Great book about the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, he's often shows up as one who's moved on the face of the earth during creation. He empowers men for special tasks, like uh, you see prophets or even Samson, where the Spirit of God came over him and he had supernatural strength. Um, you also see the prophet Joel prophesy, saying that one day this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is going to be able to fall upon a lot of people, and that the Holy Spirit's going to fall on men and women and children, sons and daughters. And then in the New Testament, Peter says that day has arrived. In Acts chapter 2, he says, this is what Joel prophesied, that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon mothers and fathers and sons and daughters. Like the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament empowers people for special tasks. And John the Baptist says, I baptize in water, but there's one coming after me who's greater who's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. That's what we get. All right. So here's another question. Well, how do you get the Holy Spirit? This has been a debated question, and this is what separates us from Pentecostals. Because I believe the Bible says that you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation through Jesus. Now, growing up in a Pentecostal church, they teach that there's salvation and then a separate blessing, a separate experience where you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. In fact, when I was a youth pastor, I used to have these debates with my pastor over this issue because I believe that you receive the Holy Spirit as salvation even when I was in a charismatic Pentecostal church. And my pastor would be like, no, 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 no. It's a separate event. And that separate event always accompanies speaking in tongues. And so I would say, so you're telling me that unless someone speaks in tongues, they don't really have the Holy Spirit? And yes is the answer from every Pentecostal, assemblies of God and charismatic person. The difference between charismatics and Pentecostals is this. They're in the same family. Pentecostals believe that salvation equals the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit equals tongues. So if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. While the Assemblies of God and Charismatics will say that you can be saved and not have the Holy Spirit, but when you do get the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in tongues. See, though they both believe and practice the speaking in tongues, they have a different perspective on it. But I believe the Bible is pretty clear on this issue of when we get 
the Holy Spirit. Some of you are from a background that is Pentecostal or charismatic, and uh, you've always been taught this second blessing experience. By the way, there's a historical answer to where that even came from. The Wesley brothers, John Wesley was one of them. He was a great hymn writer. He was a British guy. He was hitting a wall in a spiritual walk, just hitting a wall, dead, tired, cold, struggling with sin. And he writes how there was this experience where he was crying out to God and God came upon him in a powerful way and ignited him to this fire of God that broke him free from the shackles of his sinful life once and for all. And he began to write about this second blessing, the second encounter. And the second blessing, he said, empowered him for holiness. And that's what became known as the holiness movement through the Wesleyan brothers. And John began to, John Wesley began to uh, work out what's called a discipleship method, which later became the Methodist movement, which became the Methodist church today. Boy, have they drifted a long ways from John Wesley. But this holiness movement began to say that you were saved, and then there's a second blessing, uh, an empowering of the Holy Spirit for a holy life because of John Wesley's teaching. Now, in that holiness circle, there was a group of people that began to believe that they were living in the end times, in the end of the world. And they began to look at signs and wonders that hadn't been used very common in the church as something that would come back at the end of the world, at the end of time. So they began to preach about the signs and wonders and miracles of the Holy Spirit and the second blessing. And they began to say that when you get this second blessing of holiness, you get speaking in tongues with it. And that kind of broke out in the early 1900s uh, all over the U.S., but primarily in California and in Texas, believe it or not, through Parham's ministry, which started in Texas, became popular and known as the Azusa Street Revival in California. The Azusa Street Revival lasted about two years, and these dead, cold churches all over America traveled to California to get this teaching on this igniting of the Holy Spirit. And they went back, and they began to walk out these gifts of the Spirit in a very unique way, teaching the second blessing theology, and those churches became known as Pentecostal churches because they focused on the second chapter of Acts experience, which happened on the day of Pentecost, a holiday. So these Pentecostals began to grow and flourish, and within the Pentecostal movement of the 30s and 40s, different Pentecostal groups, the Church of God in Christ, the Apostolic Church Movement, uh, Assemblies of God, they began to huddle and form different denominations of likehood theology. Now, I grew up in an Assemblies of God background, okay? Charismatics are basically a Baptist or a Lutheran or a Catholic that receives the charismatic gifts but it's not from the Pentecostal background, but decides to walk it out in their denomination, and they're usually kicked out of their denomination. So they become independent churches called charismatic or independent churches. So they're very closely related. But you know what they all have in common? They all teach that the Holy Spirit is the second blessing, which is actually fairly new theology because the Bible teaches, I believe, otherwise. I grew up believing that until I began to read the Bible for what it says. So let's take a look at it. A few verses to think about. John 3, chapter 5, Jesus answered, he said, Verily I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and born of the Spirit. Born of water means a first physical birth and then a second birth, a spiritual birth. It goes, flesh gives birth to the flesh, that's the water. He says, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. As salvation, the Spirit of God is birthed in you. 
He goes on to say in John 14, 6, that it's salvation the Spirit is given to be with and in you. We're going to look at that verse in a minute. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that at salvation we are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. We are baptized into one church by one God, into one Spirit, and into one unique body of Christ, which is all in and through and by the Holy Spirit. He says you are baptized in the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12 at salvation. Romans 8, 9, it says, believers, he's talking about believers in Jesus. He says, you, believers in Jesus, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you, if you are saved, are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. So Paul is saying there that you can't even be a Christian if you don't have the Spirit. All right, so if you think that it's possible to be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit in you, Paul is saying that's not true because if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, that means you are in Christ. He goes on to say that the Spirit lives inside those who belong to God and that the Spirit in us gives us life and leads us in righteousness. Verse 11 says, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit who lives in you. He's saying if you are a Christian, the spirit lives in you. And one day when you die, because the spirit is in you as a Christian, you will be resurrected and you will be brought back to life because that whole chapter, he's talking about the resurrection. And he's saying, you know what? If if you think you can be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit, you're sadly mistaken because it's the spirit in you that allows you to be brought back to life. It's the spirit that awakens our mortal bodies in the end of the world. So to a charismatic, if this isn't true, then they would say, well, you are a Christian, but don't have the Holy Spirit. Then guess what? According to them, if they were to take their theology to the next step, then then you're not going to be resurrected with Christ. Because Paul says it only happens if the spirit's in you, which happens at salvation. He goes, Uh, He goes on, the spirit you received as salvation does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit in you that you received, the spirit you received as salvation, by the way, brought about your adoption to sonship. When you became a child of God, you became a son and a daughter of God because the Holy Spirit took up residence inside of you. He says, the spirit in you brought you adoption. Okay, And by him, the Holy Spirit, we're able to say, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit in you as a Christian gives you the ability to cry out and call him Father because you are adopted by the Spirit. You see, the word regeneration in the Bible means new life in the spirit. It's a spiritual birth. When you become born again, the spirit is birthed in you. Galatians 4, 6 says something similar. It says, because you are his sons and daughters at salvation, he says, because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. He says, when you become a Christian, the spirit takes up residence in you, in your heart. This is what Ephesians 1, this is a slam dunk verse here. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth. When you became a believer, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. 
when you believed in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you were marked in him with a seal, verse 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance into the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you believed the truth of the gospel, guess who moved in? You were given a deposit. That, po- that deposit is God's saying, you are mine, you are adopted. It's our adoption through the spirit of God living in us that allows us to be his children. John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And, and who is he talking to? To all believers. Whether you've had the quote unquote second blessing experience or not. Greater is he that is in you. Who's the in you? The Holy Spirit. If you'd like to talk more about that, feel free to text me. Uh, that was a journey I took to get corrected on that theology in my life. And I would pray that you would examine your theology on that and see what God would have for you. Here's the last question. Then we're going to dive into why you need the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and this is the question, why are we given the Holy Spirit? Well, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is given by Jesus to help us. Very simple, to help us. Speaking to his disciples before the cross, he said this, John 14, 16. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. And he will be with you forever. And the spirit of truth, that's the counselor. Who's, that's the spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit. And the word, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. Why wasn't the Holy Spirit in them at that point? Because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross. Our sins hadn't been washed away. And before Christ died on the cross, even the disciples were impure, dirty, sinful vessels. But once we receive Christ through the spirit of God, we're made the temple of the Holy Spirit. Every believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit, not just the second blessing folks, not just the charismatics and the, you know, the second encounter. Every believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God through the cross. The cross hadn't happened yet. He says, right now the Holy Spirit's with you, but after I go to the cross, I'm going to send him. He's going to be in you. He's going to be in everyone that believes. This counselor is known as the parakletos, which means the intercessor, the counselor, the advocate, the comforter, the helper. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You see, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit was God's plan all along. The Holy Spirit was God's plan was the plan of Jesus all along. I want you to watch this video. It's called The Ascension. It's after the notes. And this is what the Holy Spirit has been given to us for. Take a look at this. Jesus' very last act on earth is also one of his most puzzling. He ascends into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. On the surface, the ascension appears to show Christ leaving our world. But if we see the ascension resulting in less of Jesus' presence instead of more, 
then we are missing out on a powerful truth about the ascended Jesus. When Jesus encounters Mary Magdalene after his resurrection, she throws her arms around him. She had lost him once, and she would never lose him again. But Jesus says to her, Don't hold on to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. One could assume that Jesus is saying this because his resurrected body is sacred, but later Jesus invites Thomas to touch his wounds, so that can't be the case. Jesus knew the fear that Mary felt thinking she had lost him forever, so through his reply Jesus is saying, if you let go, if you let me ascend, you'll have access to an even stronger relationship with me. Mary, the way I am right now, there's a chance you could lose me. But if I ascend to the Father, you will have me forever and nothing will ever be able to take me away from you. His presence would come through the Holy Spirit, who is not merely a force, but a person who would come in his place. Jesus said, unless I go away, the advocate will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ to us. This is why Jesus said that through the Holy Spirit, he would finally show himself to his disciples. The implication is that the disciples did not and could not truly know Jesus until he went away bodily and returned through the Holy Spirit, which is encouraging for us to see because you might be under the impression that if only you could have lived and walked with Jesus, that you would know him better than you do now. But you'd be wrong. Before Jesus died, the Holy Spirit had not been released into the world in this powerful way. And you can only know Jesus fully through the Spirit's influence, as he shows you in the shadow of the cross how high and long and wide and deep his love is for us. In other words, through the Holy Spirit, you can see Christ and know his presence and his love better than the apostles on the night of the Lord's Supper. So the inevitable question is, are you living like this is true? Are you living like Christ is more accessible now than he was when he walked the earth? Jesus has made his intentions clear. He left heaven and all of his glory for your sake. And through his ascension, he has made himself infinitely available to you. Christ has drawn near to you. So draw near to him. And how do we do that? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. As a Christian, we're actually designed for two baptisms. We're going to have one today. Let me talk to you about those two baptisms. The first is a baptism in water. The second is a baptism in the Spirit. Let's take a look at both of them. Matthew 3, verse 11 uh, John the Baptist says, I baptize. By the, word, by the way, the word baptize means immerse. It means to get drenched. It means to dunk. All right? Literally, it means to go under. So we do immersion baptisms where you go underwater because that's the biblical model and because it's a symbol of our old life being buried with Christ. And if I were to sprinkle some dust on your head, it doesn't really show that you're buried. Right? There's a spiritual, powerful picture. But John the Baptist says, I immerse you with water for repentance, the declaration of forgiveness that you are dead to yourself and that God has forgiven you. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, 
whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, that's actually kind of a separate baptism, the Holy Spirit and a fire. You see, verse 12 explains that the baptism in fire is actually the final judgment because he goes on to say, uh, with the Holy Spirit and fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That He's talking about the final judgment. He says, so there is one who is coming uh, after Jesus, who is going to bring the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to baptize you in the Spirit, and in one day he's going to baptize the earth with fire. Okay? Now we are baptized, we are immersed, we are soaked, we are drenched in water today, some of you, and we are as Christians to be immersed, we are to be drenched, we are to be soaked in the Spirit That's what Jesus gives us the ability to have. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is a normal experience in the New Testament for all believers. And we're going to talk more about what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I believe when you are born again, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. But I do believe that there are moments throughout our life where we are soaked in the Spirit. Maybe you've come out of a service and you're like, man, that was God. I mean, I feel like just I can barely stand Uh, Man, God is so powerful. That's immersion. That's being soaked in the Spirit. Jesus sends that through His Spirit. We're going to talk more on that later. Uh, Let's go back to the baptism in John chapter 3. John says uh, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Then Jesus from Galilee comes walking up. He comes walking up to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you and, and and." You come to me? He says, you know, you're the Lamb of God. You're the one who's going to set the world free from the bondage of the slavery of themselves and their sin. He goes, and you want me to baptize you? And Jesus says, "Uh, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Some of you have not been baptized because you know that it's not a part of your salvation. However, it is a ordinance, a command, a declaration of God on your life to fulfill all righteousness in you. Some of you, you've been putting it off, or I don't know why. I don't know why. Some of you got baptized as a kid and it didn't mean anything to you, or you were sprinkled as a baby, and you definitely don't remember that. Baptism is a public declaration of what God's doing in your life. It is a sign that says to the world, I am his and he is mine. I'm not perfect, but I'm walking in a new direction from this day forward. And Jesus said, it must be done to fulfill all righteousness in us. He was setting the example. Then John consented and baptized him. We all need to be baptized. So watch what happens next, the very next verse. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water because he was immersed in the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. By the way, the Spirit of God was like a dove. That's a metaphor. That's a simile. That, that means that it wasn't like a, a bird that went and flew on top of his head. All right? And they go, oh, look, I think that might be the Holy Spirit. You know, it's like this, 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 this physical presence of some kind, kind of like a dove, like a bird, descended 
around him and upon him. It was, it was right over him. It was, it was something, I don't know what it was. It was some kind of spiritual manifestation like a bird, like a dove. He says, alighted upon him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You have the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit all present. The Trinity manifest in presence right there. Three in one. One God. Everybody say one God. Let me hear you say one God. This is important because we believe that the Bible teaches this triadic formula of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call it the Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it means three in one, triunion. And we don't understand it. We try to give illustrations to explain it. And some of them are pretty good, but they all fall short because here's the reality of the Trinity. It's a mystery. There's not three gods. There's one God. But this one God has three distinct persons. And he's not like multiple personality disorder God. All right. He's not like, I'm over here today. I'm this guy. And he's not like one guy who takes on three positions. This is unique because in this passage, we have the Son, independent of the Holy Spirit, independent of the Father, saying, this is my Son in whom I will please. It is a mystery. And you know what? I'm okay with that mystery. I try to explain it, and there's ways that we will do that in living the way. But in reality, ultimately it comes down to, you're not God, I'm not God, and there's just things about him that we're not gonna get. His trinity is one of those things. This is a slam dunk verse for the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. When Jesus commands his disciples, that's us, those of us that are Christians, to go into all the world and tell everyone the good news of salvation in Jesus, this is what he says in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the age. And how is he with us? Through the Holy Spirit. It's what he told his disciples in John 14. Water baptism declares the power of God to save, while Spirit declares the power of God in us to work in us and in the world. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to spend the last few minutes and do as many of these as I can. Uh, I'm going to do the rest of them next week. I'm going to give you 11 reasons why you need the Holy Spirit. We're only going to do some of them today. We're going to finish them up next week because some of you are like, still, okay, I'm not sure about this whole Holy Spirit thing. I'm not sure why we need to make a big deal about it, why we need to even talk about it. Why is knowing the Holy Spirit a big deal? Why is walking in the Spirit so important? Well, good question, and I'll tell you why. 11 reasons why you, why we need the Holy Spirit. Some this week, some next week. Here's the first one. Because we are unable to know God on our own, the Holy Spirit leads us to salvation. You cannot know Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You cannot want to know Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You can't think about God in a desirable way without the Holy Spirit. You can't say a prayer to the true and living God without the Holy Spirit. 
You can't even want to come to a Christian church without the Holy Spirit. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In John 6, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We are drawn by the Holy Spirit. We read earlier in John 3 that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born of the Spirit. Guys, listen, if you think that somehow you can be a Christian or know God without the Holy Spirit, you're, you're, you're mistaken. Without the Holy Spirit, you know what you have? You have religion. You have religion. And there are a lot of people in this room, they have the Christian religion. They go to church. They say the prayers. They sing the songs. But they're not born again. They're not made new in the spirit. They're not, they're not living in the spirit. They're not, their life is not ignited by the spirit. To them, it's religion of choice. It's a belief system of choice. Well, that's kind of a strange belief. That's a strange belief. I'm a Texan, or I'm American, or I grew up conservative, so I'm going to be this religion. And for some of you, that's all you got. That's why Jesus can say someday he's going to stand before many of you in heaven, and he's going to say, you know what? He's going to say to some of us, I don't even know you because you've got religion because you don't have the spirit who has drawn you. You're moved by an emotional plea. You're moved out of fear of going to hell rather than drawn by the Holy Spirit and God's love for us. You wanted your ticket out of damnation, not the presence of God in our life. And some of you, you think you are born again, but you're not truly regenerated. Because only the Holy Spirit can do that. And some of you are like, I don't know if I've ever heard the Spirit. I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've responded to the Spirit. I tell you, if you're sitting in this room and something inside of you is kicking at you and drawing at you and nudging at you, and you've watched that video, you this worship is just stirring all kinds of questions, and the Word of God is just kind of really causing you to think deeply about who Jesus and who God is. That's because the Holy Spirit is working in you. Some of you come in, you're like, I love these seats. Good night. And the Spirit's not igniting you. You're coming out of tradition. You're coming out of ceremony. But because we're unable to know God on our own, the Holy Spirit leads us to salvation. I think I might be able to get one more in here or two more. Um, Number two reason is because we are weak in our faith. The Holy Spirit brings boldness to be a witness. I'll be honest with you. Most of us here uh, are not loud people. Some of you are, thank God. I'm a loud person. I'm an opinionated person. I'm the kind of person that, you know, I grew up in a home where everybody had to fight for attention. You know, and if you wanted to say something, there was usually an argument involved. And everybody talked loud. And, you know, it wasn't uncommon to have things like shoes thrown during conversations and doors slamming. And I remember growing up, I lived in a dysfunctional home and there were, I mean, I, I saw family duking it out on the floor of my house, uh, when, you know, in rooms. I, and you know what? So for, for me, I had learned to, to have a voice. I had to learn 
to, that if I wanted to be heard, I had to say something. So in me, I, I, I had developed this boldness of my personality. Well, some of you, you're very shy. You're very timid. You're, you're quiet. You're, you're kind of the don't want to offend, don't want to hurt, don't want to cause any waves or any trouble type of person. But you know what? When you are born again, God gives you a declaration. He says, go into all the world and preach the good news to Every creation, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, get out there and share the love of Christ. Be the love of Christ and declare the hope of the gospel of Christ. But a lot of us are like, that's just not my personality. I'm just kind of the quiet person. Some of you, you know that's you. And you know what? Because of that, because we are weak in our faith or timid in our personality, the Holy Spirit gives us boldness in our witness. Acts 1a says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And when that happens, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to know something, what 40 days can do. When Jesus was crucified, his number two or three man, we don't know if he was one, two or three, Peter denied Christ. He didn't just deny Christ. He cussed out a little girl saying, I don't know the man. He began to cuss and swear at her. And then he began to weep and cry because he knew he was a weak person of faith. But after Christ rose from the grave, 40 days later, actually a little bit later than that, he ascended into heaven 40 days later. And then a few weeks after that, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of them. And all of a sudden he stood up in the face of everyone that wanted to condemn him and arrest him. It had only been barely a month and a half since Jesus was put to the cross when he stood up in front of thousands of people, thousands of soldiers and Pharisee soldiers and, and the local authority, the very same ones who were ready to persecute and to kill Jesus are ready to persecute and kill the disciples of Jesus. And just a month and a half later, he stood up and led 3,000 people to Christ in one preaching moment. And that's not to say how many didn't give their life to Christ. There were thousands and thousands of people, but 3,000 responded and the church began. What was the difference from a month and a half? There was one difference. You know what it was? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Spirit is a normal experience. And what it does is it changes a, a weak person, a scared person, a quiet person into a bold person. Acts 4.3, uh, they, were, they were arrested and then set free and they were said, don't ever preach the gospel again or we're going to arrest all of you and we're going to start kill, killing you guys. So they went back and they prayed and they didn't pray, God, let us move out to the country. They didn't say, God, let's, you know, we need to stock up because it's going to get hard. Help us to show where we should go. They didn't say, God, shut the mouth of the authorities and get people out of office, God, so that we can have some freedom. You know what they prayed? They prayed this. In Acts 4, 3, after they prayed, they, by the way, you can read the prayer. In Acts 4, they prayed, God, you are in control. Give us boldness to not be silent in a world that's full of chaos. And this, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting were shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Circle that boldly. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is given to us. One of the primary functions in a believer is boldness. So when you're at work and you're like, you know what? I don't know if I can say anything. I don't know. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? I want to invite this person to church, but I don't know. What are they going to think? 
You pray. You seek God. Ask for the Holy Spirit to empower you with boldness. And guess what will happen? You will be bold. And something you didn't know you even had will come over you. And it's the power of God. I'm going to do the rest next week. And uh, I want to end with this illustration because I, I think this is a pretty sweet illustration. I was thinking about this just uh, a couple of days ago. When I was a kid in the 80s, there was like certain tennis shoes that you had to have. Remember, remember some of those tennis shoes? I wrote down some of them. You got Puma, Converse, uh, Adidas, uh, Reebok, and the king of all tennis shoes in the 80s, Nike. Nike is the number one. In fact, of the top 80 shoes of the 80s, I was doing some research this week, uh, uh, 20 of them are Nike, and the top eight are all Nike. The number one tennis shoe. But I remember as a kid, man, if I could just get the same shoes that the Beastie Boys wore, I could be somebody, <laughs> you know? You know? Yeah, there's, this, there's this idea that if, if I just had those tennis shoes, man, I, I wouldn't hide my feet under the desk and try to, I wouldn't be so, uh, you know, um, intimidated by other people. If I just had the right shoes, man, I would have some confidence. If I could just get those Nikes, those Air Walks, and they have these Nike Air that first came out in the 80s, and there's, you know, if I could just get those Nikes, man, I know I could jump higher. I know if I just had the Nikes, I could run faster. How many of you believe that, you know? If you just had the right shoes when you were a kid, you could run faster. Man, if I could just get those shoes, I could run faster. I could run higher. Man, the girls would like me. You know, the guys would think I'm cool and want to be my friend. I would just have so much more confidence if I just had the shoes. And, and they were always expensive. And, you know, I, we'd beg and we'd plead and we'd get the off-brand. And finally, one day, you get those shoes. And guess what? People don't like you anymore. You can't jump any higher. And you're not running any faster. But you do have some confidence. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is like those shoes that you always wanted. Because you see, the Holy Spirit makes some promises, and they're not, they're not phony promises. The Holy Spirit says, if you are in Christ, and I am in you, if you will walk in me, if you will let me be the power of your life, the Holy Spirit says, guess what? And you'll have a confidence that you never imagined. You're going to walk into a room and your shyness is going to turn to boldness through the Spirit. You're going to find that people are attracted to you because of the Spirit of God in you. And you're going to find you are going to be able to run faster in the Spirit. You are going to find that you're going to be able to walk stronger in the Spirit. You're going to find that you're going to be able to jump higher in the Spirit when you walk in his power, when you walk in the spirit. Galatians 5 says to walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the lust of the flesh. There's a war going on with us. What's the answer? Putting on the shoes of Christ, putting on the Holy Spirit. So in the next couple of weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna unpack the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna invite you to do something. It's not false advertising. 
But the Holy Spirit promises it really does. It really does happen. Will you do something? Don't neglect the Spirit. Don't resist the Spirit. But allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you as we see what it means to walk and to know the power of God in our daily life. Let's pray. God, thank you for the Spirit of God. God, thank you, Lord, that that through the Spirit, God, we're able to do things we never imagined. God, the key to this Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is meant to point the way, to remind us, to teach us about Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't point to himself. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. While the Jesus, uh, while Jesus gives glory to the Father, they are one God working together. Father, help us to understand what it means to know and walk in the Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit is convicting some of you today. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, you know what, this whole talk of the Spirit is really interesting. But what really interests me the most as you sit there is what it means to know Jesus as Lord because that's the beginning. So I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you'd say, you know what, I want to know this Jesus that you're talking about. I want to know this this new life, this hope, this healing, this comfort that comes through Jesus. I want to know that. Well, then I want to lead you in a prayer right now. And I'm going to invite all of us to pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, Thank you for loving me. Thank you that you gave your life on a cross for me, for my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I give you my life. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me what it means to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, guess what happened? Two things. You are forgiven and you were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, walk with us as we learn what that means. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.